clients are looking for trusted advice and a sense of stability as they navigate the new normal. And by using Bill.com, accounting firms can free up more time for valuable strategic advisory services by helping clients shift their accounts payable process online. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Bill.com, later in the episode. And that's the problem I had was the the touting of this being the greatest thing since Tom Brady was born, right? It's completely ridiculous. And that's where I have a problem with it. It's it's the the pre-celebration of something that was arguably still not a success. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Paycheck Protection Program, CARES Act, unemployment insurance, furloughs, layoffs, cash flow, CDC guidance, employee safety, paid leave, tax credits. Tracking all of the constantly changing COVID-19 related information for your clients is getting overwhelming. With OnPay's COVID-19 Resource Center, you'll have a one-stop shop for your up-to-date HR and tax information. OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR software that is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees, to stay organized, save time, and get compliant. OnPay includes deep integrations to benefit providers, workers' comp plans, QuickBooks, and Xero. Right now, Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get three free months of OnPay payroll service. Learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. As firms everywhere are positioning themselves to work remotely, BQE Software is committed to supporting you and your employees during this critical time. BQE's core products operate 100% on a native cloud platform that's uniquely able to help you in your efforts to embrace remote work while maintaining your productivity. In response to the impact that COVID-19 has had on your firm and your clients' businesses, the team at BQE has let us know that Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners will now receive three months of BQE Core for free with an annual subscription package purchased on or before May 31st, 2020. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And what what day is it? What month is it? It is the middle of the holiday weekend here. Um, we're recording on Sunday, uh, which is probably good because there's constantly new information that gets released on Friday nights lately by the Treasury. By the SBA, yeah, we may just need to permanently switch to recording on Sunday so that we can have time to digest all of this guidance or lack thereof. Think we could put a request in? Maybe the AICPA can, since they're in talks with them, can uh, be like, hey, by the way, you're kind of messing up Dave and Blake's recording schedule. Can you (laughs) do all your releases on Wednesday? Well, nobody can get the SBA to talk to them. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal this week about how uh, on both sides of the aisle, senators are complaining that Povita Carranza and the SBA leadership are not being responsive to their request for information. So... Unfortunately, we're not. Um, I, I doubt we will have any more success than Marco Rubio uh, in this. Um, so obviously, there's PPP news, right? Yes. Uh, I have earnings season. Zero, Sage, and Intuit have all released earnings. That's going to be exciting to talk about. That is. I have um, lots of interesting app news, um, and maybe the summary is apps or banks, <laughs> and that, that, that's uh, it's very interesting. And, and soon to be GLs. Yes, they are. They are broadening into the whole fintech world. I think that um, 
We should definitely talk about that, probably hit on that first since we haven't done it in a while, and we'll hold off on the PPP and stimulus stuff. I also have remote work uh, that I want to talk about, which I teased at the end of the last episode. But before we do all of that, we have a review. I see that. It is our worst review we've had. Worst review ever. But it is, I would like to say it's not a bad review because it's a critical review and I actually like getting critical feedback. I mean, I love the the five-star positive reviews. Those are great and everything. Thank you, everybody who has left a, a glowing review. Uh, but, uh, you know, take a listen to this review and uh, let us know uh, what you think. So, this is on Apple Podcast. Mm-hmm. And go ahead. I'll let you read it. So, this is Jay. Jay says... I enjoy listening on my morning runs, but you guys are getting over-the-top doomsday depressing. There are ways to track the PPP funds. Google the QBO solution. Your underlying anti-Trump tone forbids you to see the good going on with all the government funding. Any other president, and you might be less whiny about the efforts to help businesses, small and large. I know a lot of businesses that have received the funding, but you say it's not getting to businesses perhaps because those businesses don't keep their books so they are scrambling to apply? Why should a bank or my government give money to businesses who can't even show a 2018 return? How about being more helpful to those of us trying to build businesses and less dreadful about everything else? Jay. And that was in specific regards to episode 174, which I believe was our May 18 episode. Yeah, it would be two episodes ago. The last, yeah. Um, But at that time, that would have been the fourth or fifth straight episode on PPP, <laughs> right? So, 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 feedback taken for sure. Yeah. Like we've been talking a lot about PVP, but to some extent there hasn't been any other news. Now today there's other news. Finally, yes. I'm actually excited that we're getting back to the normal news cycle. And I just want to address the, uh, the Trump thing because that is always the elephant in the room. Whenever politics is brought up, right? Everyone is, it's like you hate him or you love him. And I would like to say just for the record, I am a Republican. I dislike Joe Biden. I dislike Donald Trump. I don't like either of them. Okay, that's just the way it is. So, you know, I apologize if you really, really love Donald Trump. You know, I'm just not a fan. Uh, And I don't know, David, if you are willing to reveal your political persuasions or not, or if that is like too much. But, you know, I just want to state that for the record. All right, I have to let you. So, if we're going to disclose here, I'm currently right now registered as a Democrat. Okay. Because in the state of Arizona, if you're registered as as an independent, you don't get to vote in a primary. So, I temporarily changed my vote, my, my registration to Democrat so I could vote against Joe Biden. So, that's where I, that, that's kind of where I was on this stance. Yeah. So, I have to switch it back, you know, not have to go through the jump through the hoops and switch it back to independent because that's the biggest party in Arizona. Thank you for, now that you're here, you should think about joining the independent party. And now that I'm no longer living in California, my vote matters, especially as a Republican. It's so exciting. Uh, and honestly, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but but here's where I am critical. I'm critical of ineffective government response to a pandemic. And it's just been a disaster. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, that's just the way it is. Like, especially this whole stimulus thing, the PPP thing. We're, we'll talk about it later. You know, I have my opinions. I, I do not apologize for them. I will justify them. If I'm wrong, tell me why. And if, if you have feedback for us, like, go ahead, put it in a review. We will read it on the air. You know, if you have a specific issue, the best way to let us know to make sure that we see it is to put that in a review. Please do. That's true. Do a review. And then in my beef wasn't so, it's not so much, I, obviously this got rolled out not perfectly, right? We can yeah. talk about that forever. But the big problem I had is on day one, within an hour and a half of this launching, the GOP, the Trumpers, 
the SBA and the Treasury had an orchestrated campaign of tweets and social media go out touting how much the success the PPP program was, how successful it was when if you were talking to any accountants for two or three days before and that morning, you knew it was absolutely not a success. Right. And that's the problem I had was the the touting of this being the greatest thing since Tom Brady was born, right? It's completely ridiculous. And that's where I have a problem with it. It's, yeah. it's the, the pre-celebration of something that was arguably still not a success. Um, I have a paychecks had a survey, right? And they surveyed uh, 300 business owners. They've been doing it every week. Only 29% have, stu- have received their loan payment yet. Wow. We're still basically a third have not yeah, gotten yeah. Their, their cash. It's crazy. So uh, yeah. it is. Well, so Jay, thank you very much for the feedback. We really appreciate it. We hope you keep listening. You know, please, uh, you know, continue to let us know your thoughts on, on Twitter is, is great. Actually. Uh, I'm at Blake T Oliver and David is at David Leary. We should get Jay a special shirt. Cause Jay is. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, she, while you run they, actually. He or she, she, yeah. They, uh, blemished our perfect five-star record <laughs> and they should get a special trophy for that for, no i think for, if the algorithms are working if the algorithms are working properly if you only get five stars then it'll like it, it it's not as good as if you get a mixer of your of reviews okay so david i think we should kick off with app news what do you think yeah let's jump in Zero released their earnings first, so maybe we should hit zero quickly. Yeah. So they had a fiscal year ending March 31st, so a lot of this is not going to be impacted by COVID yet. They reported 30% growth in operating revenue. They're up to $718 million globally. They've had 26% growth in total subscribers, 2.285 million subscribers, uh, tons of growth in global which means outside of Australia, New Zealand, North America, actually quite a lot of growth there. Their North North America subscribers grew by 24%. So they've got 241,000 now, although that still pales in comparison to the QBO subscribers in North America, as David will tell us, or not, right? Because I think Intuit stopped releasing subscriber numbers for QBO. Yes. Intuit stopped releasing subscriber numbers, but if you can kind of step back and look at zeros, I mean, they grew their subscribers over the year by 26%. But the previous two or three years, I feel like QuickBooks and Zero have both been growing the subscriber base by almost 40%. 30 or 40, so th- yeah. Yeah. So, so things have slowed down. And it's not so much they slow down because things are bad. They slow down because it's just you can't maintain that pace. And so if you project this out, I mean, Zero is now at what? Uh, 2.2 million. But Intuit probably grew at 20%, which means they added another million, which means QuickBooks Online is probably close to 5 million now, if not breaking 5 million. So, so the numbers are still amazingly great. I mean, that's putting 7, 8 million people on cloud accounting. Like that's still huge numbers. So we can jump into, do you want to jump straight to Intuit? And then yeah, after that, we'll jump over to Sage because yeah, Sage had me, interesting numbers too. Yeah. Give me those numbers. All right, all right. So let's take a look at Intuit. So Intuit obviously saw a slide in revenue. Everybody's going to see that for the last quarter. And then just for the listeners to be aware, Zero only um, releases numbers every six months. They're not on a quarterly basis. In the US, we're on a quarterly basis. So it's very hard to get these these things aligned, right? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, it's worse because Intuit's fiscal year and Zero's fiscal years don't line up either. Yep. So it's always been a bit of a game to compare apples to apples on these. So um, probably the main thing is the decline for Intuit uh, was really due to the tax deadline getting extended. Mm, yeah. So if you remember the past couple of years, Intuit keeps reporting 
some of it's just because TurboTax is easier and easier and easier. People just wait to the last day to file. They just wait longer and longer and longer in the tax season. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> right. And yeah. so now since the tax season just got delayed four more months, all that revenue into it usually would have gotten by mid-April has now been pushed out mm. to the future. So it's, so it's a, a short-term hit they're taking on their consumer group. But it should pick up when they get out to their end of next quarter. It should just recoup. Right. Because right now, the tax deadline is still July 15. July 15 right now. Uh, If it got pushed out more, (laughs) that would be a mess. (laughs) Yeah. Let's hope not. So, the uh, small business group. So, this is small business and self-employed group. The revenue is up 11% to $1 billion. Uh, The QuickBooks small, Small Business Online Ecosystem, that grew 28%. And I think the way they count the ecosystem revenue, it's all the add-ons to QuickBooks, but not payroll, because I think they always report payroll separately. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, again, the consumer group revenue declined fifteen percent. So usually, this is the quarter the consumer group revenue always grows. Like TurboTax just grows from the previous quarter right, year, right, the previous right. year. So that's been a little bit of a struggle for them. One interesting stat is they they released some numbers about online payroll. So online payroll increased twenty percent year over year until about mid-March. But since mid-March, it's seen 10% of workers drop out of their payroll system, which I thought was a very encouraging number. If you if you think about QuickBooks payroll, they have a million payroll subscribers. Average amount of employees is about 12. Right. So that's a lot of small businesses that use Intuit online payroll and only 10% reduction in people getting paid by that system. Yeah. It seems encouraging versus 40%. Because, I mean, unemployment's now going to be pushing 35 40%. Well, so it seems. I, I wouldn't say it would go that high, but like definitely 20 25% is possible. Yeah. So that's probably encouraging for Intuit that, that they have a much lower number of people dropping out of their payroll system. Well, the question is when did that uh, report could, find, you know, what's the end date on that? Is that March 31st? Yeah. And this could be temporary, right? right. Eight weeks from now will be the true test of the number when PPP funds run out. Right. And you, now you you don't have any cash possibly to pay your employees. And mm. Now they're out of the payroll system. So that's an interesting number to watch. The other one, uh, they have a lot of loans receivables. So they now have $89 million in loans receivable on the books. Huh. So Intuit's cash and cash equivalents are now at $3.37 billion compared to January 31st of $1.64 billion. Yeah, so they're, they're well prepared to yeah. weather the storm. Well, not just weather the storm, but... I I'm, we'll see this when we talk about apps, like Zero and Intuit are going to have to be banks. Lend eventually. out money. They're going to have to keep lending money and become more of a bank. And we'll get, like I said, we'll get into that. A couple of other interesting things that'll carry us over to the Sage earnings. But before we do, I want to tie Intuit's earnings back over to Zero. So Zero's concern about COVID's impact, right? Intuit obviously has those concerns too, but Intuit has this historical perspective. And to what happens is when QuickBooks services a small business market, some firms are likely to fail, but what happens is you get all these new businesses taking their place because if you cannot get a job, you start a new business, right? So this could actually bode well for QuickBooks and Zero. Um, and, and I saw this historically at the previous, t- the dot-com 1.0 bust, the um, 2008 crisis, mm-hmm. Intuit, it really doesn't affect them. If for every business that goes under, somebody new starts a business. It's just kind of, they're recession-proof. I don't want to like, you know, knock on wood or anything or jinx anything, but, and that could actually be encouraging for zero as well. And then the other piece from Intuit was some desktop news. So desktop ecosystem revenues were down 6% year over year. No surprise. One interesting other number that something was down is their tax generated revenues by the pro tax group are down 18%. Now, I don't know if that's due to filing 
because I'm not totally, I don't totally understand that business model. Like yeah. if you're a pro series user, do you pay like per return you file? And because everybody's yeah, yeah, down. Some of them work that way. You pay per return. Um, they touted about how TurboTax Live and QuickBooks Live are going to keep helping them get new customers. Uh, highest customer satisfaction scores ever for TurboTax Live. Um, so, so that's that. And then let's tie this all the way back to Sage's earnings. So Sage had their results come out last week. So Sage and Zero were last week and then two it was this week. So you know, pre- pretty close timing. Um, so really the big thing I think from Sage's numbers is management's primer- primary focus now is to migrate desktop customers and attract new customers to Sage's business cloud. Yeah. Well, it should <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. yeah. So Sage finally is turning a corner. Their native their cloud solutions um are sorry, their cloud solutions have delivered a recurring revenue growth of 31% and Sage Intact delivering recurring revenue growth of 31%. So it's it looks like the other Sage cloud products are kind of getting in line with the rest of the industry as far as growth is concerned. Well, and their revenue overall is up about 2%. So they're managing to convert these desktop folks to cloud and not lose money. And in, on their side, their desktop revenue is down as well. So there's been a decline. Now they're okay with it because they expected this to happen because of their business strategy. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if like we're now finally, finally in the year where desktop starts to really die. Like, is, is this finally the year? I know we've been thinking, oh, it's going to be 2016, 2017. Yeah. Like, is th- if COVID is accelerating remote work, then it's going to accelerate cloud adoption. Like that's, you, you said it, did you, did you not say this on the last episode, something about how the economy is being, the stock market is being held up by these cloud technology companies? Like that is what's supporting our entire stock market right now is belief that these companies are going to keep growing. Yep. So this is good. This is good for cloud. Uh, it's terrible for everything else, but it's great for cloud. So that's it for earnings, right? That's it. All right. So let's talk about features. Right. What is new in the world of cloud accounting features? Because that ultimately is what is going to drive the growth, right? That we make these apps better and better. Zero released a new integration with Relay Bank. You've used Relay, right, David? Yes. Well, we use Relay for the podcast. They were a oh. sponsor, but I use Relay. Yes. I've logged in like twice <laughs> and it, it worked great. Like you sent me an invite and I was able to log into a view where, because you, you own the bank account, right? Under your entity. Yep. And you were able to invite me to view just that one bank account so I can have full visibility. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So I, sp- I have three bank accounts, all at Relay Bank, and I, but I wanted to have you to have visibility. So I spun up a new bank account and invited you as somebody who has view only access and you can get in there and see it. So it's almost like an accountant's use case. It's so cool. It, and so Relay, for those who aren't familiar, is a virtual bank. You can sign up for an account online through their app on their website. And they now have a deeper integration with Zero. So what does that mean? It means you get a bank feed via API, not screen scraping. So it's a native bank feed. It is updated every three hours and supports enriched transaction data in Relay that is piped into Zero. But the really cool thing is that Relay will import unpaid bills from Zero into Relay for payment in Relay. And it does that every few hours. So you could have a workflow where you enter your bills into Zero through you know, either manually or through some sort of document processing solution, uh, like a HubDoc, for instance, and then it automatically pulls those bills into Relay so you can pay them. That's pretty neat. I mean, that to me is like the future of of banking, the way it should work with accounting software, right? Rather than having to rekey stuff or rather than having, you know, the 
uh, the document go into the bill pay solution and then sync into the accounting system. Like that's just backwards. Yeah. I mean, anything you can do to avoid going to the bank website is huge, right? <laughs> and so did you see QuickBooks finally released their QBO bank statement fetching? Yes. People were really pleasantly surprised. And I think we've been waiting like two years since this was announced at QuickBooks Connect. And I think people have been waiting even longer than that. I mean, it seems like such the obvious feature. You do a reconciliation and you got to like pause, go out to a bank website, download your PDF of your statement, bring it back. This the amount of clicking is crazy. So now when you go to the reconciliation screen, it just has your bank statements right there. They're just ready to go. That's really cool. And you can open them up. And then if you don't have the bank statement, this is so it's like a two-part feature. Let's say they can't fetch your bank statement, your bank's not supported. For example, Relay, that you can't download the bank statement yet. But you can go and you can attach a bank statement. So when you're done with the reconciliation, uh-huh. you can the PDF you took the time to download that you don't know what to do with, right. you can actually just attach it. So now it's the record, the the reconciliation and the bank statement are constantly tied together in QuickBooks. It's it's such an obvious feature. It's it's amazing that it's finally at market here. So some other new features that came out in May. QuickBooks Online Advanced now supports 48 custom fields up from 36, giving you up to 12 fields each for customer, vendor, sales forms, and uh, purchase orders and other expenses. That's going to be important because I think a lot there's a lot of developers that have built very deep custom integrations to QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise. And a lot of that, they can't go to QuickBooks Online because of custom fields. A lot higher ability to create custom fields in QuickBooks Enterprise and access that through the old QuickBooks Desktop SDK. And so if you built an app and you have a bunch of custom fields, you can't really go to QuickBooks Online. Right. So this this is a, the app developers are going to love this. And I think enterprises, especially now, like you said, in the COVID era, are going to, ha- they're going to be able to moved to QuickBooks Online when maybe they previously couldn't. So there have some, also been some updates to the business performance dashboard, which is an uh, area in QuickBooks Online where you can visualize your data. Now you can compare periods when creating a custom chart. So you can say, let me look at April 2020 versus April 2019. You can also import sales receipts in batch transactions in QuickBooks Online Advanced. Oh, and I should say that that business performance dashboard is also an advanced only feature. There's workforce bulk invite in QuickBooks Online Payroll. So if you need to invite all the employees to go uh, view their W-2s online, you can now do it all at once. Just put in their names and email addresses and send them an invite to do that rather than one at a time. And uh, in the online payroll, you can also have default hours now for employees. So you can set default hours and days And that'll just flow through onto payroll every time you're on payroll, rather than you having to remember to put in that information. And that's it for QuickBooks. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Bill.com. Through these uncertain times, one thing has become clear. Accounting firms are in a unique and trusted position to help their clients adapt. For your firm, that means leaning into the services your clients have always depended on and more. And for your clients, it means helping them move quickly to a remote model and bringing key financial processes like accounts payable online smoothly. 
Using Bill.com, the intelligent business payments platform, accounting firms can take a client's time-consuming manual AP process and transform it completely with automation, tracking, mobility, and transparency, easing your client's shift to working remotely and setting the stage for strategic conversations about how your firm can help them navigate the new normal. To learn more about how Bill.com can help your firm automate AP and offer client advisory services, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash bill. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-I-L-L. Bill.com, the intelligent business payments platform. So um, do you remember we talked about uh, Revolut? Yes. So they are the uh, fintech new bank out of Europe that people just love. And now they're starting to come to the States. So they had a lot of news come out this week. So they're now partnering with ClearBooks, which is an accounting software package in in Europe. They're going in deeper with that. It sounds like kind of a little bit of a bank feed, but they're going to tie it back to whether or not invoices are paid or outstanding. So it feels like it's going to be like a souped up bank feed of some type. So So if you invoice out of ClearBooks and then you get paid through a Revolut, it's going to tie that back together. But the more impressive part is Revolut's numbers. They already have 4,000 business accounts. Here in the US? Not in the US, just overall. I think they still are just slowly trickling out. Not only that, they have their own uh, Revolut Business Connect ecosystem. So they have an app store. Mm-hmm. And they're allowing you know their business accounts to more easily track expenses and match bills to invoices, which is kind of heading towards GL territory, right? Yeah. They're, they're kind of expanding down into that. It's amazing how fast, they, they only started in 2015, like how fast they've came up to market. Yeah, that right? is amazing. And, uh, and then the, you can set up rules and smart rules and matching in just one click. So essentially they are, you know, they're going deep with an accounting system, but they also apparently they do integrate with Zero and Slack and Free Agent. So they are integrating with other products, but no, I don't feel like anybody's ever talked about the Zero one or just have not seen that as of yet. So obviously, Revolut Bank, small business heading towards GL. So do you know Shopify, right? We talked about Shopify two, three weeks ago. They're now Canada's biggest market cap company, right? Mm-hmm. They're the biggest company yeah, in Canada. I, I just bought something on Shopify. Got it. So Shopify has now, they're launching, they just announced they're going to launch a product called Shopify Balance, which is a business account built for independent businesses and entrepreneurs. They're becoming a bank. like They're becoming a bank and they want to help merchants manage their store's money. And so essentially you would, instead of you getting paid yep. and then moving that money to your bank account, you're going to keep it inside you sign up Shopify's world. You sign up for your online e-commerce store and you get your bank account when you sign up and it just stays in there. It just stays in there. And then, so now we'll, now let's move, let's go to Square's recent news. So Square released their earnings and this is a uh, more indicative. Yes. And then we'll just jump right to their cash app program. So they have that cash app program. We talked about that before. Yes. Right? This is the uh, direct peer-to-peer payments app. That's correct. And, and small businesses have it, but then consumers can get it as well, right? Direct deposit volumes are surging three to three times up to 14 million customers. So people are connecting their traditional bank account to put money into their cash app bank account. Yep. Follow on that. And right now, customers have stored more than 1.3 billion in their cash balances in April. 1.3 billion. That's double the tally at the beginning of the year. And they didn't break this down of that 1.3 billion. How much of this is just small businesses just keeping the money in there instead of moving it back to their traditional bank account? Hey, so speaking of Square, their big competitor Stripe just raised a bunch of money. They raised 
$600 million at a $36 billion valuation in a Series G extension. And Stripe now says it has $2 billion on its balance sheet. Man, Series G, I didn't even know the alphabet for startups went that that far. <laughs> That's amazing, right? And, and, you know, why are they raising all this money? They don't need it to fund operations, uh, most certainly, considering how much cash they generate right now. It's got to be for lending, right? Because Stripe, just like Square, is doing a bunch of lending to its customers where you can, um, you know, essentially factor invoices. And they have all this data on you because they can see into your bank account. And then they can just withdraw the payments automatically, which reduces so much risk. And then uh, Cabbage was in the news a little bit. So Cabbage, I think in March, we talked about how Cabbage, they... They furloughed lots of employees. Yeah, Cabbage, again, for those who aren't familiar, a, uh, a, a fintech lender uh, for small business, right? So, small loans. And then they, and they were small loans, but they were also pretty much focused there on inventory gaps, right? Like maybe you had a seasonal business that could help you stabilize that cash flow. You can, it's like a line of credit. You can get some loan, pay it down. And they yeah. started to get a little bit more traditional loans. But to some extent, when everything went crazy here, they were, and they, were, they had increasing debt on their balance sheet, right? And they reminded me of like payday loans for businesses, essentially. You could say that. That's what it was. You know, that's the way, because it was high interest rates, short term, you know, low dollar value loans that were automated through a QuickBooks connection or a zero connection. Uh, And and they weren't really meant for more than like a month or two, right? Yeah. And I know we talked about last week, they were, you know, there's some Twitter chatter about them doing PPP loans, but there's some numbers that came out. So they've issued 110,000 Paycheck Protection Program loans uh, mm-hmm. for more than three point five billion. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. So they they've received one hundred seventy five million in fees. So really, they found a new revenue place because if they didn't get into the PPP loan. They're not giving out normal loans. Like no, like who who's going to take a thirty percent loan out right now or twenty nine percent? Very high rate loan. So they um, so they so they, they really kind of not save themselves, but kind of survive themselves because of the PPP. Did they say the Average amount of those loans? I mean, we can figure it out from the numbers. What was it? Three point something billion? Yeah. The average loan amount was uh, 31,000. Okay. With a median of 14,000, which I think we talked about QuickBooks two weeks ago. They said theirs was like 7,200 or something. Theirs is even smaller. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Cabbage loans were a little bit bigger. Um, and then we can talk about, there's a payroll company that's coming on the market called Deal, D-E-L. So they raised fourteen million just to do remote worker payroll services, and I don't know enough about what they're doing, but it sounds like this is more of a global payroll product because they say that um, it uses just one single software for this purpose, as opposed to a multitude like many others have used in the past. So if you have just U.S. employees, maybe this doesn't make sense, but if you have employees in foreign other countries, um, think about like outsourced labor. Mm-hmm. That's what I think they're solving for. So they and now with the you know everybody going remote, maybe they have a bigger opportunity here. So so things are good for deal. But then Zenefits, remember a good old Zenefits? Yeah, well, driving around Phoenix, I I see the Zenefits sign on the uh, building over near the uh, ASU. Okay, so it's, it's still around, still around. But it's the they've obviously they went from the fastest growing SaaS startup behind. Salesforce, right? Salesforce was always the fastest, then Zenefits was the fastest, and then mm-hmm. everything went bad. Bad news for Zenefits, right? Uh, they were found out they were 
people were uh, cheating on the insurance exams to get certified. There, they had, you know, employees doing inappropriate things in that building you drive by in Phoenix. There's not a lot of going, but there's an article about their headcount. Over the last four years, their headcount's been slashed by 52%. And now they're noticing, so the, uh, somebody's noticing that their openings on LinkedIn, their, jo- their job openings, they were like, you know, it was about 28 positions were open at the start of the year. Then it dropped to nothing. Then it went back up again in March. And now it's completely gone. They've always had ebb and flows, but this year it's really been erratic. And the, they said the only thing up for Zenefits is their Twitter account. Why is that? <laughs> I, I have I no idea. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they've, they've gained more Twitter followers, but in general, like things are not going well for Zenefits, considering Gusto, OnPays, Rippling, who actually is the former founder of Zenefits, founded Rippling. Like all these payroll companies are seem to be doing well and growing to some extent. And their benefits continues to struggle. Well, I have one last piece of app news, yep. which is uh, blockchain related. So ding, 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 you get to fill that out on your bingo card today. Grant Thornton has released Inter.x, a blockchain platform for managing intercompany transactions. The firm has implemented the new platform in-house, but it is also available to clients to manage dealings between financial entities of a business which account for 30 to 40% of the global economy. Now, normally, David, as you know, I am a blockchain skeptic. I find most of the blockchain stuff out there to be completely ridiculous. And thankfully, during coronavirus, all of that thought leadership about how blockchain is going to eliminate the audit profession has disappeared. And it's, you know, blockchain is no longer going to destroy accounting and all that. But I think this is a really cool application of blockchain and potentially incredibly useful one intercompany transactions being all the all the things that happen between businesses that have common ownership and according to generally accepted accounting principles you have to uh, eliminate those transactions when you present your financial statements pulling that all apart after the fact is really difficult but uh, blockchain could potentially like automate that uh, you know like in the same way that bank feeds automated uh, bank reconciliations to a large extent. I think we saw, we talked about an app before that does that called Modern, Modern Treasury. Um, I think there's a, there's a Sask startup that's kind of in that same space now. So it's, it's really cool. Um, and, you know, but of course the, the devil is in the details, you know, you've got to figure out how to get this blockchain app to integrate with all the ERP systems for all of the entities and configure it properly in order for this to work. So there's going to be plenty of work for accountants keeping this whole engine running as opposed to doing the eliminations manually. Pretty cool. Go check it out. Link is in the show notes to the article in Accounting Today. Shout out to Accounting Today for uh, covering that. So there's two articles in Accounting Today that I don't know if we want to go deep on these, but uh, Mazars creates another PPP analyst tool. So that was like a press release in accounting today. Oh, that's, that's, Remember like yeah, before, I think we, yeah. they were charging like two grand for a spreadsheet template before. And then Crow has created a PPP loan forgiveness management solution, but for lenders. Oh. So they've created a set of tools because the lenders probably ultimately don't want to deal with any of this. Yeah. And so they probably even have um, requests for uh, work. Oh, yeah. Um, well, and out there with, 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 with the big firms. Th- this is the whole thing about PPP that is like the big unknown and and just seems insurmountable in many ways to me. How are the banks and the SBA going to process all these loan forgiveness applications? It was hard enough for them to process essentially a one page application with like one number on it. Imagine this really extensive loan forgiveness application, which requires you to do calculations for every single employee. 
who's going to validate this stuff? I think it's just going to end up getting shoved through and approved. But they're either going to it's either going to be outsourced to all the big firms, right? Yeah. And they're going to create little factories and do all this, and they're the ones that are going to make a bunch of money. Yeah. Or it's all going to get rubber snapped. They're, they're, it's it's one or the other that's probably going to happen. Well, but if they outsource, David, then uh, hopefully they won't follow the trend of what's happened in the UK, which is what happened. Uh, so the UK government has outsourced some aspects of their coronavirus response to Deloitte. And apparently, Deloitte hasn't done the best job, according to small businesses, when it comes to sourcing PPE, not property, plant, and equipment. We're talking about personal protective equipment. Uh, The UK government, the prime minister's office, put Deloitte in the UK in charge of presiding over a system for providing PPE to the National Health Service staff. So they they set up like an email address where all the small businesses that produce PPE in the UK could uh, send offers. It's like the PPP eBay. Yeah, it's like, like, Here's a like government needs PPE. Here's a place where small businesses who produce it can go send their quotes. And apparently, it's been a disaster because the the business owners haven't been getting responses. Deloitte has not figured out how to staff this thing, and it's like completely useless. And there's some really great quotes. Hiring Deloitte to manage PPE procurement was a funny thing to do. If there's a fire, you don't call the auditor. You call the fire service. That's a clothing manufacturer based in Northern England, as told to Open Democracy. The firm has been offering to make medical gowns since mid-March and has not yet been able to contact anyone. Deloitte has been useless, says Kate Hills, the founder of Make It British, which promotes brands that manufacture in the UK. They have been an unnecessary step in the process, another middleman only focused on price. This is yet another story of a government project being handed over to an outsourcing company like Deloitte, which has failed to deliver and which lacks any transparency, said Labor's Reeves, echoing calls from the campaigners who say the government's COVID-19 deals must come under more scrutiny. Now, granted, that's a Labor Party person, right? So, opposing the current government, but... So, what you're suggesting is Big Four gets involved in processing these PPP forgiveness applications. Like, it's only going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Like, it's not going to help the banks. Yeah. Okay, well, and think worse. about it, because the way they're going to charge the government is by the hour. So, they've got no incentive to... Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, that's the problem. Billable hour. So, anyway, yeah. Uh, don't hire Deloitte to do this. Um, yeah. There's a great article in Going Concern about the same thing. Pretty funny uh, quotes. It's just apparently... The manufacturers have had better luck just contracting directly with different NHS offices. So, last week I talked about how uh, the AICPA, I couldn't find the link to their forgiveness spreadsheet. Right. Right. They created an Excel file. And so, it turns out- They put, a, they put out a press release, but there was no link to the actual- No link file. to that, right? And, and then since then, I've seen dozens and dozens of accounting firms. Everybody and their brother is building either an Excel template or a Google Sheet for forgiveness templates. Mm-hmm. But- I just want to put a warning that everybody has to be very, very careful. So, Microsoft just uh, alerted everybody, Microsoft Security Intelligence, um, that they're tracking a massive campaign that delivers legitimate remote access tool. So, basically, your whole system's compromised, right? Via an Excel macro. They have about 100 different versions of this Excel spreadsheet, basically called like COVID-19 data. Oh, no. And so, it's in, it's being sent out as attachments. So, it's like, you know, people are like, hey, check out this. It's the Arizona covid deaths and they you know you forward it on to right. somebody they open and it. now you're you're infected so I, i'm not saying that this is happening but 
if I was going to be a hacker, I probably would create a loan forgiveness spreadsheet. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it only, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And not only that, I would be able to compromise better computers because it would be business computers instead of personal yeah. computers probably. So just be really aware. Even it might be proactive just to like remind your clients, like don't click on forgiveness spreadsheets unless you ask me first. Well, this is one of the reasons why I prefer Google Sheets to Excel. I know it's heresy to say that for a lot of people, but... Google Sheets it works in your web browser. It doesn't have access to your local system and it's in a sandbox in Chrome. And as far as I know, it's impossible for a macro in Google Sheets to infect your computer. So that's the solution to this. And the calculations are not that complicated. Google Sheets can handle it. Yeah, the danger in the, danger in the Google Sheets problem is the plugins for Google Chrome. Right. That's the danger in that is, is your, somebody's like, hey, here's a... A forgiveness plugin and you install that to your Google Sheet and now you're in trouble, right, right? Right, right? So that's the yeah. So just like really warn your clients right now. It's like because there's just they're everywhere. Everybody and their brother is releasing a PPP forgiveness Excel file. Yep. And it's it's it some I'm sure three weeks now, there'll probably be some one of these spreadsheets are going to be infecting people. It's just only bound to happen. Well when that happens, it wasn't me. It wasn't me, folks. I, I just So you brought us into PPP. So shall we talk about the latest guidance? I have digested it. Oh, good. Good. So on on Friday, uh, the Wall Street Journal reports that SBA released their 14th interim final rule. So who knows how many interim final rules we will have to have before we get to the final rule. These are not the final rules, but we have a little more clarification. Unfortunately, on the really important stuff, we don't have guidance. We don't have guidance that uh, clarifies who is eligible for the program beyond what we have already talked about. All that stuff about necessity, you know, certifying the need, uh, whether you have access to outside capital, uh, none of that is really is clarified any further in this. Um, it doesn't change the 75% payroll requirement, which, by the way, was never mandated by Congress. Uh, SBA could change that if they wanted to because they made up that rule and they didn't take it out. Here's what we do know. The SBA is saying that they may review PPP loans, uh, quote, of any size at any time in SBA's discretion, unquote, which conflicts with what I have heard in the news about how they're not going to audit people under $2 million. That's what Mnuchin was saying lately. So I don't know what's up with that. They're saying that you have to retain documentation for six years after the loan is forgiven or paid in full, which suggests that they could come back and audit you six years down the road. Companies seeking loan forgiveness have to alert state unemployment offices if workers refuse requests to return to work. That is going to be awkward. Uh, Businesses won't be subject to reduction in loan forgiveness if employees refuse to come back to work. And that's pretty much it. Like, it just uh, formalizes a lot of the info that was provided with the forgiveness application that came out last week. By the way, that forgiveness application is ridiculous. Accountants have a hard time figuring out the loan forgiveness application. What are the chances that your regular business owner who doesn't have access to accountants, what are they going to do? It's just, it's way too complicated and they have to do something to fix this. And Congress, the Senate adjourned over the Memorial Day weekend until next month. Well, actually, I don't know when they come back, but they adjourned for the Memorial Day weekend without doing any of the stuff they were talking about, without... Uh, extending the PPP window, which is what Marco Rubio was trying to get. He wanted to extend it from eight weeks to 16 weeks. Yeah, he wanted a uh, legislation passed to make PPP forgiveness easier. Yeah. Right. 
And, and, you know, I like to make fun of Marco Rubio a little bit, but like he's doing good work here. This needs to happen. The problem is that under the current rule, the earliest recipients of the PPP funds, the people who got it right away, have to finish using those funds by May 29th, which is, you know, we were, we're recording on Sunday, May 24th. So, five days from now. So, what are the odds that the Senate's going to come back on, I don't know, do they come back Tuesday? I'm not sure. What are the odds they're going to come back next week? pass a law, get the house to pass it, get the president to sign it. Bef- and is this, this Rubio bill, is this, is this separate from the 3 trillion stimulus package that Pelosi and the Democrats pushed through the house yeah. and they're waiting on the Senate now? So it's different. So it's not wrapped up in that. Like this is a standalone thing. Okay. So, and the problem is that uh, the Democrats in the house have put some new stuff for PPP in that $3 trillion bill. But that bill, as we discussed Last episode is dead on arrival. Senate's not going to consider it. The, the the House, you know, wants to actually remove the requirement that seventy five percent of the money be used on payroll. That was in the House bill, I believe, and um, you know that that's not going to pass. The House bill also would give people twenty four weeks to spend the loan funds. I, I think there's like a big question, or just this bill is sort of like doesn't know what it wants to be because or this program doesn't know what it wants to be. Is the Paycheck Protection Program for employees or is it for small businesses? Because if it's for small businesses, then all these restrictions and all these complications are really bad and and don't fit the intent. If it is in fact for employees, then yeah, that's why you put in these restrictions, but it would have been better just to put more money into unemployment or just more money into stimulus payments rather than trying to funnel money to employees through this convoluted process. That's just my opinion. Yeah, other people's as well. I think I saw Mark Cuban has basically, he's putting a fork in it. He's just like, just the PPP program is a complete failure. Let's move on. Let's just send every single person $1,000 every week. That'll help increase spending on the bottom side of this. So yeah, I, I think to be honest, like Cuban's making a play at running one day for politics. Uh, like, it's could, pretty yeah. Clear he, yeah, I mean, not, not this year, but he, he's making a play. Did you see the uh, Texas man who is, uh, he's the latest uh, PPP fraud? No, what happened to him? So, so, he, so he tried to get over five million dollars in forgivable loans, and he basically he he sought millions from two different banks by claiming he had more than four hundred employees when he actually had zero employees. He used a name generator to create a bunch of fake employees, and he uh, created fake reports and he applied for loans. So he's they're getting him on wire fraud, bank fraud. Uh, loan fraud, false statements, CSBA and lenders, like et cetera, et cetera. But the it's pretty gutsy. I mean, that's a that's a huge claim. Like, did they like, you're, did they say how he uh, like uh, how they caught him? Because I'm wondering if like they you know maybe he used a name generator that was like you know for uh, uh, fantasy board games or something, right? And everyone it sounds like they're from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so in his first application, he uh, claimed he had four employees with an average monthly payroll of two million. And obviously, it didn't. Well, that's it, it ridiculous did. because it's way more than. Yeah, he should have just done a much smaller amount. Yeah. And would have probably gotten it through, right? And then in the second application, Yates said he uh, he employed a hundred individuals and obtained a five hundred thousand dollar loan. So he actually got the other, the second loan. Um, so he obtained. So Yates submitted a list of faux employees he obtained from an online name generator. That's amazing. And submitted forged tax documents for each application. Wow. Like it was. Uh, yeah. So he. You're right. Like. If he would have kept it under two million, he probably nobody would have noticed. Just and just make sure big. the math is a little insane. Yeah, he went too big. He should have, yeah, 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 he should have done that. 
So here's the good news, just for those of you that think, hey, we're hammering on the US too much about the failure of the PPP. And I know you touched on, and I've seen this with our UK accountants friends, you know, there they have, they, they call it a, a scheme. Like that's the official name of this. I think it's so funny, it, right? Like scheme is not a negative thing in the UK. It's They call it a scheme. But then also we have our Australian counterparts and I've been watching the JobKeeper program in Australia from the side. Uh-huh. And so the, their, their program was misstated from 6.5 million workers and had to be revised down to 3.5 million workers. People receiving benefits or what? Because the reported figures, so when you're a small business owner and you're filling out the form, mm-hmm. apparently the form allows, the, the way this works, I don't know all the exact math, but you get $1,500 per employee. So what's happening, a bunch of em- employers that have one employee were checkmarking the box that they had 1,500 employers. Like the form itself was confusing. Oh, got it. <laughs> so, so 500 businesses claimed they had 1,500 employees. <laughs> Just because the form was confusing. So, so the original estimates the treasury was putting out in Australia was they were talking about they were going to have to subsidize wages for 6.5 million workers. Oh, that's great. And now it's really only 3.5. So this is not like all the governments suck at this. Like there's nobody doing this the right way in, in the best way. And they're all taking different approaches and nobody's doing it right. So just rest assured, like this is not a, us going after the US government thing. They all suck at it. Well, uh, big news in remote work, if, if you don't mind flipping over to that topic for to yeah. finish things out. Uh, and I didn't get to mention this last time, and it's so fascinating, actually. Maybe a lot of people didn't notice, but the House of Representatives recently acted to change their rules to allow remote voting and virtual hearings. This is the first time in American history, in the history of the United States, that the House of Representatives has allowed remote voting. Now, they're saying it's going to be a temporary thing, but I imagine they'll keep this in their back pocket, you know, in case uh, in case there's another need for it. And you could make the argument that, yes, just national security demands that they be able to operate remotely, right? But just to put this in perspective, the Philadelphia yellow fever outbreak of 1793 didn't do this. The Spanish influenza of 1918 didn't do this. And not even the September 11, 2001 attacks did this. So, you want to talk about like an era of remote work when the US Congress adopts remote work, at least half of it, right? Senate still hasn't done that, but the House did it. That's a big deal. I mean, that's a moment. I think this will be in the history books. This is kind of scary because they already don't go to work enough, (laughs) arguably, right? Like now they're now tons of people are going to be no-shows on these votes. I think this is a great thing because it means that representatives will get to spend more time with their constituents rather than going back and forth. And I think one of you the- mean their donors? Their donors or their constituents? <laughs> well, hopefully, they'll add their constituents along with the donors, right? But right now, the problem is they're traveling back and forth so much. Like It's a tough job to be in Congress. They work a lot. They have to have two different homes. So, I think maybe this will open up the job and make it more attractive to people who otherwise wouldn't do it. And and that's good because you want better people in Congress, right? It's like any job. When you make the job easier uh, to do and more open and accessible, then you get more candidates. 
So to me, this is a great thing. And part of the argument against having remote Congress is that is the same same arguments you hear from accounting firms saying that we can't work remotely. Oh, you know, we have to have that in-person collaboration. You need to be able to slap somebody on the back and, you know, look somebody in the eye. And really, you know, like we can't figure out other ways to do this. They can't at least operate remotely some of the year. I mean, there's a lot of state legislatures that don't even come into session more than like two times a year anyway. So this could just allow them to, you know, sort of meet in the middle, do something, you know, at least be able to to do work while uh, while not having to be in Washington. I can only imagine these Zoom calls. I just, I'm like... So, so, you know, sometimes I'm very negative about our government, but I think this is a great thing. This is a good thing. And Senate should do it too. Uh, awesome. It's important. Uh, <laughs> but one other funny story about remote work, David. Uh, there is one country in the world that is taking remote work more seriously than any other country. And that is, no surprise, Singapore, which tends to do everything very seriously, it seems, at least as an outsider. A judge in Singapore has sentenced a man to death via a Zoom video call for his role in a drug deal, one of just two known cases where a capital punishment verdict has been delivered remotely. So if you thought it was bad that companies are firing people via Zoom, at least they're not executing people via Zoom. Yeah, I saw Weight Watchers this week. Uh, like everybody via Zoom, they did. They did a bunch of terminations. Yeah. yeah. All, all what else are you going to do? Yeah. Like call people into an office, give them coronavirus, and then send them on their way? And well, I think I think the problem the beef people are having is they're 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 not one on one. You know, you're not getting the one on one heads up. You're just getting into a Zoom call that you wouldn't. You really don't know what's going on. Yeah. Because I'm sure the hallway chatter is slower now. Right. Right. I'm no. like, hey, I heard the officer coming. Right. I think some of that the hallway chatter may be a lot slower. I, I that I don't know actually, because um, I'm not. I get, it's got to be slower because I'm not. I'm not getting any rumory hallway talk right now from yeah. anybody. So it's got to be slower. So that's something to uh, keep an eye on with the remote work. Yep. There's a story we had to keep our eye on. Did you see that um, there's a class action suit representing the accountants against the banks? No. Tell me about this. And the agent fees. And the agent fees. So this is uh, an opinion piece that was written. Um, it's our argument on opinion piece, but it's an independent contributor on Forbes. And there is a uh, a law group. It's uh, Michael Adler of Gray Law Group Incorporated has started the ball rolling on a class action lawsuit. Basically, 19 lawyers are involved to um, represent the accountants for the traditionally with loans at the banks. You get that agent fee, right? Yeah. And with PBP, you could not get it. Yes. And so, so the really bank, we, about this weeks ago when the program started. Yeah. And so th- the banks, we... Loosely, we've done the math before, right? The banks stand to make what twenty five million, if not thirty million. I'm sorry, twenty five billion, if not thirty billion. Yeah, it's uh, between one and five percent of all of the money for the whole program, which is up to you know six hundred to seven hundred billion dollars. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah, so there's a, a lot, lot, lot at stake here, and then accountants really couldn't charge for doing the application; they weren't getting a fee back. And now, I actually believe there's if this gets rubber stamped, everything's going to get forgiven. I truly, deeply down believe that, which now means all the work accountants or bookkeepers could do to charge to fill out that forgiveness paperwork isn't going to be necessary. So, accounts are really less holding an empty bag. So, this is going to be something to watch this uh, class action suit. Now, what this will mean is every account or bookkeeper will get a check for a dollar when it's all said and done because lawyers are going to take the rest of it. But the interesting thing from this uh, article sentence I liked was uh, tax Twitter transformed itself into almost all paycheck protection all the time. 
And that's really true. And and so it's not just like us, we were just payroll protection program for the last six to eight weeks. Like all of Twitter was. Yeah. Like that that's all anybody's talked about. It's it's a little bit it's been crazy. And Unfortunately, there's still no end in sight. There's no resolution on this. Well, hopefully Congress will come back and do something sensible and make this simpler this week. It needs to happen ASAP uh, because like we said, a bunch of businesses are going to, they're going to hit the end of that eight week period this month. I got my loan five weeks in and I've had it now for three weeks. So yeah, we're, we're in week eight and nine right now. They got to act soon. So hopefully those uh, senators will have a nice Memorial day weekend, relax a little bit and come back refreshed so they can uh, fix this. And maybe they'll listen to the podcast a little bit. Maybe they will. Uh, That's all I got, David, for this week. Plenty more for next week. I'm sure if people want to reach you in between episodes, let you know what they think, where should they go? couple of options. You can get a hold of me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm at David Leary, very easy to find. And you can also give us a phone call. Yes. 202-695-1040. That is 202-695-1040. Give us a call, leave us a message on our Google Voice. We'll take a listen and we might even play the audio on the air. And as I mentioned at the beginning, if you want to let us know what you think, positive, negative, either way, Please write us a review. I really appreciate these reviews. I, th- I had the feeling we were getting a little crazy on the PPP and maybe a little bit over the top on the politics. And it's good to hear that from people. Like we want to cover what you want to hear. So if you liked the focus on the app news that we did more, if you prefer the PPP or you've got other thoughts, you know, write a review, let us know. Uh, and you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. That's a wrap. Have a great Memorial Day uh, weekend, David, and I'll see you here next week. Time for the classifieds. AccountingTax.com has helped more than 8,900 tax accounting and wealth management firms map out a client experience through client acquisition, conversion, onboarding, retention, and expansion with the goal of getting clients to pay more year over year. If you're looking to develop your practice and take it to the next level with advisory services, go to accountingtax.com forward slash cloud to learn more. Still sending spreadsheets of unclassified expenses to clients? Automate this process and get client answers instantly with ClientHub's QuickBooks Online integration. This feature was described as one that only an accountant would have come up with, as it solves a real big pain point. ClientHub is a modern client portal designed for cloud accounting firms. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app and enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. Stop spending endless hours creating and building workflow and process templates for your firm. Jetpack Workflow is 32 accounting flow workflow templates you can download for free. These popular accounting templates include monthly bookkeeping, weekly accounting analysis, and 990, 1120, 1041, 1040 tax returns. Download yours free today at slash free templates. That's slash free templates. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.